Glory. Good to see you this morning. We are in the second week of an eight-week worship series out of the book of Leviticus chapter 23, so if you'll find that, but I will tell you this, keep your fingers nimble, because we're going to be turning to lots of different passages of Scripture this morning. But we're going to start in Leviticus chapter 23. God gave Israel appointed times, times where he says, I want to meet with my people in community. Yes, God wants to have a very personal and intimate relationship with each of us as his children, but he also wants to meet with us regularly as a corporate body, as a community of believers in him. And he did that also in the Old Testament. And we're going to go through and we're going to see this morning that God is a God to be worshipped because he's a God of provision and he's a God of protection. Before we get to that, I actually want to start sort of as a way of introduction and going back a little bit to last week to look at the first two verses of Leviticus 23 and to say before I do to all those who are joining us by live stream and all of you in attendance here in person this morning, good for you, you have kept your appointment with God. Because last week we said God has an appointment and he's put, I have an appointment with my people. And last week we talked about the Sabbath and how every week he wants to meet with his people, and you kept that appointment. Notice what Moses says in Leviticus 23, verses 1 and 2. The Lord spoke to Moses, speak to the Israelites and tell them, these are the Lord's appointed times, a fixed time for God's people to assemble for worship. He says to Moses, you must proclaim these as holy assemblies. In other words, they are to be sacred. They are to be special because they are sacred and special to God. Therefore, they should be sacred and special to us as well. And then he says, these are my appointed times. Meaning, this is not man's idea. These were God's ideas. This is God's agenda. This is God's appointment book. Now, last week we saw that we should come as worshipers of God in community because God offers us rest, physically, emotionally, and spiritually. And therefore, we should worship a God who alone can give us true rest for our souls. Today, I want us to look now at verses 4 and 5. And again, you'll notice in verse 4, he sort of, repeats what he said in the first two verses by saying again, these are the Lord's appointed times. God's called timeouts, where he says to his people, time out, time for us to get together, time for us to huddle up, let's be reminded of what's going on here and why we're here and what this is all about. And then he says, this is a set time to assemble for worship. Again, he calls them in verse 4, holy assemblies, sacred special times, which you must proclaim at their appointed time. And notice something else. I don't want to 
dwell on this too much this morning, but besides the fact that we learn today that God is a God of provision and protection, he's also a God of precision. He's very precise to where if God's people are really paying attention, there's no doubt what God expects of us. Because notice here, in verse 5, he says, in the first month, on the 14th day of the month, at twilight, is a Passover offering to the Lord. It doesn't, God couldn't get any more specific than that. 14th day of the first month. By the way, God here was also setting up the Jewish calendar. And the Jewish calendar is different than our calendar. The first month of their year is in the month of our sort of March, April. It's spring. It's when everything blossoms. It's when everything is new. And God says, I want you to start your calendar there. That's your first month. That's why Passover and all of that is in the springtime, you see, springtime festival. And so God says, in the first month, again, equivalent to our March, April, on the 14th day of that month at twilight, I want you to offer your Passover offering, all right? You know, many people are like, well, if God was just more specific, if he just, if he just gave me more information, I'd be more obedient, and, and I'd, I'd follow. And God's up there saying, I've given you all that you need, you're just not either paying attention or you're not getting it. And we as New Testament Christians could say the same thing. I mean, we got this whole book here and it's very precise and it's very specific. If we were honest, it's not that we don't know what God expects of us. It's just a lot of times we struggle because we just don't want to do it. It's a matter of the will, not a matter of not understanding or not knowing what God wants. And that's the way God's always been. He's always been a God of precision, and he always will be. Even the prophet Micah says, he has shown you, oh man, a woman, what the Lord requires of you. You see, in the book of Micah, chapter 6, verse 8. Well, let's get to why we're here this morning. Specifically looking at this whole thing called Passover. And obviously at this point, this was a celebration. This was a festival. This was a time of, of keeping and remembering the Passover. But in order to understand that, let's go back, and we're going to come back to Leviticus maybe at some point, but let's go back for a while to the book of Exodus, chapter 12, where all of this starts. Exodus chapter 12. And let's talk about the Passover. And I want to begin in chapter 12, Verse 1, the Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, this month is to be your beginning of months. Again, God's the one that set the calendar for them. It will be your first month of the year. Tell the whole community of Israel, on the tenth day of this month, they must, must each take a lamb for themselves according to their families, a lamb for each household. If any household is too small for a lamb, the man and his next door neighbor are to take a lamb according to the number of people. You will make your count for the lamb according to how much each one can eat because the lamb not only was to be slaughtered and sacrificed, the meat of the lamb was to be totally consumed and eaten as well. I start thinking, so it really depends on how much each household can eat. Some households 
can eat a lot. You see, some maybe not so much. But I want you to notice something. God is saying, I'll make provision for you. I will not ask you to sacrifice something to me that I will not make sure you have, okay? Your lamb, verse 5, must be perfect. A male, one year old, you may take it from the sheep or from the goats. You must care for it until the 14th day of this month, and then the whole community of Israel will kill it around sundown. Verse 7, they will take some of the blood and put it on the two side posts and the top of the door frame of the houses where they will eat it. You see. Now notice something else. God provides. He's going to make sure, just as he does in our life, that if he requires something from us, if he requires something from his people, if he's asking his people to do something, if there's something that is required to do his will, God will make sure that we have it. And God would make sure that every household that wanted a lamb and wanted to observe Passover and wanted to put blood on their doorposts, that they would have it. But notice something in verse 7. God's provision must be applied. And God wasn't going to do that for them. That was something they were going to have to do. So just like us, God will provide for our needs. God will make sure that we have what we need to carry out his will, both individually and corporately. But each of us must apply God's provision to our life. It will do us no good, just as it did them no good, to have the lamb, to sacrifice the lamb, to eat the meat from the lamb, but never apply the blood to the posts of their door. No good. See, God's given us his love, but you and I have got to apply that to our life every day. God's given us his peace, his joy, his patience, all these things God has given us. He, he gives us his grace every day. He gives us everything, either physically, emotionally, or spiritually, we need. But you and I have to apply it. He's given us a book with tons of promises. But you and I have to apply personally those promises to our life, or they do us no good. I mean, we can say, you know, I know the Bible says, you know, not to be anxious about any, everything and by everything, you know, pray about everything rather than being anxious. But unless I personally apply those principles to my life and begin to pray about things rather than worry about things, God's promises do us no good. We've got to apply God's provision just as the Israelites needed to do with the Passover lamb. What I want us to also see this morning, and i got to go back myself to Exodus chapter 12, is that this so reminded me, when I started thinking about God's provision, about other places in the scriptures where God provided, and you and I literally could walk from Genesis 
all the way through Revelation, and there would be account after account after account where God provided, sometimes naturally, sometimes supernaturally. But one that came to mind when I thought about a lamb was way back in the book of Genesis, chapter 22. You and I know this story. It's very familiar of Isaac and Abraham, and they're walking up Mount Moriah, and Abraham is going to sacrifice his son. And Isaac's a young man. He's not a little child. And he, he turns to his dad about halfway up the mountain. He says, well, dad, we, we've got the fire starter and we've got the wood, but where's the lamb for the burnt offering? And you remember what Abraham said to his son? He said, son, my God will provide for himself a lamb. God will provide for himself a lamb. Why did he say it that way? Because God's going to be true to his word. God can be trusted. God is reliable. God will make sure this happens because Abraham's faith was so great that in his own mind, even if he did have to sacrifice his son Isaac on that altar and he died, he said, I believe in a God who will raise the dead. Because God promised me that this would be the son that his promises would come through. God's not going to go back on that. So even if I sacrifice my son, God in some way is going to bring him back to life because God said so. That's his promise. Abraham banked on it. But God was going to provide the lamb. I want us to keep that in mind. Because as you think about it, and we sang about it this morning, God in Jesus Christ met the greatest need we will ever have as a human being, the need of a Savior, the need of being saved from the penalty, the power, and one day the very presence of sin. And if God has met our greatest need in Jesus Christ, our Savior, then argue from the greatest or greater to the lesser, if God met our greatest need, then why can we not trust him to meet every other lesser need than that? Remember the words of John the Baptist when he saw Jesus coming to him? He said, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 5, 7, that Jesus Christ is our Passover Lamb who has been sacrificed. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 and 19, Peter says, You and I have been set free once and for all from the penalty, power, and one day from the very presence of sin. We've been redeemed, not by earthly things like silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Jesus Christ, a lamb without spot and without blemish. You see, the Passover lamb, was simply a picture of the one-day future Lamb of God that would come and literally, once and for all, take care of our greatest need. God will provide. And Paul even says, if God has provided for our greatest need in our Savior Jesus Christ, then he encourages the Philippians, then our God will supply your every need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus, Philippians 4.19. And you and I can look over our life 
even before we became a follower of Jesus Christ, but especially afterwards. And we can count those blessings and we can recount every time God came through and provided for us his people. I and so many others here at the Oasis Church could go back 10 plus years now. And from the time we decided to start this church, we could go back and share with you the hand of God on this church and on this ministry and to his glory, share with you all the time God provided for everything that we needed as a group of people. God is a provider for his people. The New Testament is filled with verses that remind us of that. As God's people, Paul says, we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Peter tells us that he's given us everything we need for life and godliness. Paul tells the Colossians that you and I are complete in Christ, meaning we lack nothing. There's no deficiency in our life, again, to fulfill God's will for us as a church and as us individually. David says, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. There's nothing that I truly need outside of Jesus. God will provide. And that's one of the great messages that should come to us when we think of the Passover. God provided his people with the lamb and its life and the blood so that he could pass over. And so the first thing I want us to see is that you and I come here today and every week and maybe a couple times a week and even every day in our individual life and we should wake up every day worshiping our God because every day he provides for us physically, emotionally, and spiritually. Every day. In fact, there are things that God provides for us that we don't even thank him for because we've just gotten sort of used to it. We just sort of take it for granted. And yet God is so faithful, always providing, not maybe everything we want, but God says, I'll meet your every need. And God is always faithful to provide for his people. I hope today that your heart begins to get filled up with just so much gratefulness and appreciation for a God who not only has provided for you up to this point, but that you can walk out of this building today so confident that the same God who has provided for you up to this point in your life will also continue to provide for your every need until you go home to be with Jesus. That's the kind of God he is. But he's not only a God of provision, Passover teaches us he's also a God of protection. So go back to Exodus chapter 12, and let's look at verses 12, 13, and 23. 12, 13, and 23. I will pass through the land of Egypt in the same night, and I will attack all the firstborn in the land of Egypt. Now let's remember something, too, by this point. God has given Pharaoh and the leadership of Israel every opportunity to let his people go. And over and over again, through all those plagues, they have rejected and refused God. So God finally said, fine, through the prophet Moses, whatever you say in judgment to us, it will come back and be a judgment 
upon you. And they were going to kill all the firstborn Hebrews. So God says, you pronounced your own judgment out of your own mouth. So notice Exodus 12, 12. I will pass through the land of Egypt, both of humans and of animals, the firstborn. And on all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are, so that when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And this plague will not fall on you to destroy you when I attack the land of Egypt. Look at verse 23 of Exodus 12. For the Lord will pass through to strike Egypt. And when he sees the blood on the top of the door frame and the two side posts, then the Lord will pass over the door and he will not permit the destroyer to enter your houses to strike you. That's obviously where we get the term Passover. Literally, God passed over. Now remember though, yes, God provided the lamb. He would make sure anyone that wanted a lamb would have it. But the people had to personally apply the blood of that lamb to their own door. Otherwise, they were not trusting in the way of salvation that God provided. It's very similar to the people in Noah's day. God was going to provide a way of salvation through this great flood that he was going to bring upon the earth, but the only way of salvation was to trust him to get on that ark. And only the people that trusted in his way of salvation would be spared from judgment. The same thing is true today. God says, I love the world. There's not one person that's ever come into this world that I do not love. But in order to be saved, in order to be right with me, you've got to come to me my way. And my way is through the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ with your heart and you confess him with your mouth, you will be saved for whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved and so God says you trust my way I'll save you I'll save you I'll pass over and I will not judge he is the God of protection but also then go back to Exodus 11 the previous chapter and look at verses 4 through 7 Moses says, Thus saith the Lord, About midnight I will go throughout Egypt, and all the firstborn in the land of Egypt will die, from the firstborn son of Pharaoh who sits on his throne to the firstborn son of the slave girl who is at her handmill, and all the firstborn of the cattle. There will be a great cry throughout the whole land of Egypt, such as there's never been or ever will be again. Whoa. Some night, right? In fact, In some ways, we can sort of identify. And and let me explain. As those who trusted in God's provision sat in their homes, and by the way, many Egyptians also were saved that night. They trusted in God's provision and came into the houses where the blood was applied. But you can imagine the how good it felt to be under that blood and to know that the judgment that was coming was not going to pass on to us that were inside that home where the blood was. 
But then you heard all the cries and the screams and the horror of what was taking place outside your home when the judgment came. I'm sure Noah and his family experienced the very same thing when they were safe inside the ark that God provided, but they heard all those other people that refused to come God's way that was being caught up in judgment. Now, not exactly, but in some way, I sort of feel that way today in the sense that I'm so thankful for my salvation. I'm so glad my family knows the Lord, and and I'm so glad I'm part of a church family where we know the Lord, and I'm so thankful that, that, you know, we're going to escape judgment one day, and, and we have heaven and glory for all of eternity and all those wonderful things. But my heart grieves for so many people that have yet to turn to Jesus. And I thought about what Tony was sharing at the beginning. I thought, well, Tony, you don't even know what I'm going to be sharing, but it goes hand in hand with what he was saying about we need to think about our unsafe family and friends and the people around us because unless they come to Christ, they're going to have a much different faith than what we're going to have. And so there's sort of that, we're we're experiencing sort of two very radically different emotions at the same time. We're so glad that we're not going to have to experience it, but our heart has to be touched and grieved by those that may experience it. And it should be a motivation and an inspiration for us to be witnesses for Jesus Christ and to go out there and say, God, give me somebody that I can share your gospel with and somebody whose heart is open because, Lord, they need the Lord. People need the Lord today. He is the only hope that we have. But then, notice this back in Exodus 11. Verse 7, But against any of the Israelites, not even a dog will bark against either people or animals, so that you may know, don't miss this, this is important, that the Lord distinguishes between Egypt and Israel. In a sense, not the nations themselves, but against those who trusted in his provision, who applied the blood, and those who didn't. God says, I know the difference. And there's going to be a great difference between those that don't apply my provision to their life and those that do. And I know exactly who has and who hasn't. God knows the difference. Now, the reason I want to bring that up is if you're here today and you're a child of God through the blood of Jesus Christ, God knows you're his. God knows you're his child, and he's going to watch over you, and he's going to protect you, and he's going to care for you, and he's going to preserve you because you have trusted in his son, Jesus Christ. And you don't need to have the same outlook and mentality and perspective that those that do not have that assurance in their life do not have. There should be a huge difference between the way we handle life, the way we look at life, the way we navigate life, and the way they don't. Because God says, there's a big difference in my mind between those that know me and those that don't know me. Are we letting that difference and those distinguishing marks flesh out in our life every day. God knows the difference. Peter picks up on this. 
In 2 Peter 2, 9, God, uh, Peter says to God's people, the Lord knows how to deliver the godly from their trials and to reserve the unrighteous for the judgment to come. Let me repeat that. The Lord knows how to deliver the godly from their trials and to reserve the unrighteous for the judgment to come. There's a difference, you see. And then notice Exodus 12, verse 42. Exodus 12, verse 42. Actually, I'm going to start at verse 40. Now, the length of time the Israelites lived in Egypt was 430 years. At the end of the 430 years, on the very day, all the regiments of the Lord went out of the land of Egypt. Now, notice, it was a night of vigil for the Lord to bring them out from the land of Egypt. What's that mean? That means God was very carefully watching over his people. He wasn't taking his eyes off of his people. He was being very observant that night. He was distinguishing between who applied and who didn't apply. And the idea is God is very, again, much aware. He's always watching over his people. He never takes his eye off of us. The Bible says God's people are the apple of his eye. Uh, he's always care. That's why the Bible says, Jesus said, why are you worrying? If, if God cares for the animals, if God makes sure that that bird out there has food, does he, do you not think he is going to make sure you have food and he cares for you? His eyes on the sparrow, well, it's very much on you because Jesus says you're of more value to our father than that bird is. God's got his eye on you, and he is not going to take his eyes off of you even when we might feel like God's not watching over us. God keeps his eyes out. So that's why then it says at the end of verse 42, so on this night, all Israel then is to keep the vigil to the Lord for generations to come, meaning we should be watchful, we should be observant, we should make sure that we never forget that our God is not only a God of provision, he's a God of protection and preservation. Turn with me real quick to the book of Psalms, to Psalm 121. One of my favorite psalms. And you want to talk about a psalm that reminds us of God's protection over our life and preservation of our life. Psalm 121. Please just follow along as I read this great psalm. I look up toward the hills from where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord, the creator of heaven and earth. May he not allow your foot to slip. May your protector not sleep. Look, Israel's protector does not sleep or slumber. The Lord is your protector. The Lord is the shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day or the moon by night. The Lord will protect you from all harm. He will protect your life. The Lord will protect you in all you do now and forevermore. I say amen and amen. Either the Lord is going to protect and provide and watch over his people or he's not, and he promises he will. He is the Lord of the Passover the one who not only provided for his people in Passover, but protected his people in Passover. And he's the same God today that he was then. One verse we looked at Wednesday night was 2 Timothy 4.18, where Paul says, The Lord will deliver me from every evil deed and will bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. 
You either believe that or you're not. God's got us. We are in the everlasting arms and hands of Almighty God, and He hasn't lost His grip on us, and His eyes are always upon His people. So with that said, go then to Exodus chapter 12, verse 14 to begin with. We're going to wrap this up this morning. If God is a God of provision and protection, then God calls upon his people who acknowledge that to be a people of praise. So notice in verse 14, this day of Passover, of commemorating it, of celebrating it, Exodus 12, 14, this day will become a memorial for you. You will celebrate it as a festival to the Lord. You will celebrate it perpetually as a lasting ordinance. I want that word perpetually. It's a perpetuation. I'll come back to that in just a moment. That's part of our worship is perpetuating the works and wonder of God. Because notice what he says over in verse 24. You must observe this event as an ordinance for you and for your children forever. When you enter the land that the Lord will give to you, just as he said, you must observe this ceremony. And when your children ask you, what does this ceremony mean to you? Then you will say, it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover. When he passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt, when he struck Egypt and delivered our households. What were they doing? They were perpetuating the works and wonder of God to their children, to their grandchildren, to everyone around them. Why does God call his people together today in, in a very similar way so that at least we're coming together at least once a week as God's people so that he can shape us into a people of praise so that part of our praise and our worship of him is perpetuating to each other and to the next generations to come after us the works and wonder of God. We are reminding each other every week, our God is a God who will provide for you. He is a God who will protect you. And every time we come together, we should be reminding each other and encouraging each other in that truth. That's what God wanted his people to do then. I want you to come together so you never forget that I'll provide for you. I want you to come together so that you will encourage each other mutually that I'm a God who will watch over you and keep my eye on you and protect you. It doesn't mean things won't happen to God's people, but he says, I'll preserve you through it. I'll preserve you through it. And then notice the very last phrase of verse 27. Not only perpetuation is part of worship, prostration is part of worship where we are overcome with our God, where we are simply in awe and wonder, where we live in a growing and healthy reverence and respect for God because the Bible says the people bowed down low to the ground. And then the Israelites went away and did exactly as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron. Bowing down low to the ground 
was a way of physically showing the Lord, Lord, I'm overcome by you. I'm overwhelmed by you. I'm in all of wonder of you. I'm growing in my reverence and respect for you. God, where would I be without you in my life? You are the God who has always provided for me, and you always will. In fact, you're even providing for me a place that you have made with your own hands, Jesus, that you have reserved in heaven for me. And one day, I'm going to get to see you and all the saints in glory forever and ever and I'm going to serve the king of kings forever and ever and the lord of lords forever and ever and glory is my place for all of eternity and all of this God you provided for me and I didn't deserve any of it Lord and I'm growing in my awe and wonder of you God because you're a God of protection you're a God that protects me when I know it and you're a God who even protects me when I don't know it. And I think about all the times even in my own life where God probably protected me from stuff and I didn't even know he was protecting me from it. It will be when I get to heaven and God says, look here, I really was watching over you. In fact, this past week, I was in a situation where I was coming out of my home, coming down to church one morning, and I was on the 60, and I was in a, what I call a gaggle of cars. There were cars all around me, and the guy right in front of me blew his tire, and that tire tread just flew back at my car, and I'm sitting there for, you know, I have that split-second decision of, Lord, what do I do? <laughs> because I've got to try to escape that huge tire tread coming at me, but I've also got all these cars around. All I can tell you is God did take the wheel of that car and helped me not only to avoid the tire that was coming at me, but all the cars around me as well. God protects his people. And if it's not our time to go to be with him, then there ain't nothing that's going to happen to us. We are indestructible until God says, it's your time. It's your time. And if it is our time, there ain't nothing you and I can do to hold us here. Because when God calls you home, you're going to go home whether you want to or not. Because our death and our time on this earth is not in our hands. It's in the Lord's hands. He's our God who provides and protects us. Perpetuation, prostration. Those are words of worship, my friends. Th those are words where God is saying, I am calling on my people who now know very clearly that I am your God and that I will provide for you every moment of, of your days on this earth and I will protect you every moment of your days on this earth. How can we not be moved how can we not be overwhelmed and overcome with our God? How can we not live in awe and wonder and have a growing, healthy reverence and respect for a God who will always provide for us and always protect us? So could I invite you to stand with me? We're going to move into a time of worship, and I just pray that our hearts are filled with wonder and awe at our God and that our worship God will reflect 
our awe and wonder of you will reflect our growing reverence and respect for you. That our worship will reflect our growing appreciation and admiration for the God that you are. That you have always been and you always will be the God of provision and protection. We worship you today, God, because you are the God of rest and you are the God of provision and protection. And God, your people, we have come together this morning to remind each other of that fact. And to say, God, thank you. Thank you for all that you've done and all that you will do for us. Because we know, God, that in this world, there's not many or anything that we can truly trust in and depend on and rely on, God. But we know we can always trust in you. We can always rely in, on you. We can always depend upon you, God, because you are trustworthy. You are steadfast. You, God, are our rock. And we're going to live our lives upon the rock. God, would you accept the worship of our church this morning as we come to express our gratitude to you, our God. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.